Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Sunday Skate with Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Razor Raycroft. Brought to you by Shaw's and Star Market. Perfecting the art of fresh on WEEI. Hughes. Patterson to Gromick. Miller. Gromick tees it up and scores! Besser around the boards. Miller to Hughes. To Miller. Welcome into Sunday Skate. Here we are, another week, talking about another blown, blown lead for the Bruins. Just in Let- time. <laughs> Look who it is. We got we got Razor. Just walked in. We got, we got Bridget. I'm your host, Scott McLaughlin. We got Nico behind the glass. And Looks like it's going to be a great road win for the Bruins. They're going to have five or six points on the road trip. All they got to do is hold on to a two-goal lead in the third period against the Vancouver Canucks, and they can't do it. They end up losing in overtime, 3-2. to two. They get, give up another extra attacker goal. And we sat here last week, and collectively we we weren't super concerned, but we were like, they, they have to figure it out. Last Saturday they... Blew a lead against the Kings. Lost that game in overtime. Wednesday night in Edmonton, they blew a 4-1 lead and then a 5-4 lead in the third period. Now that game they won in overtime. But here we are, third time in five games they've blown a multi-goal lead. It's been a problem all season. They have eight 
losses when leading after the second period, most in the NHL. And my question to kick things off here is, when does it go from they just have to find a way to fix this to they can't fix this, and it's a fatal flaw? Because I am just about there, guys. No, 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 no. He we came can't. in so pessimistic this morning, Razor. Like, so pessimistic. I was yeah, like, I'm I can't ga- wait for Razor to just like, I'm going to be the one who disagree. has to be talked off the ledge here this morning. Yeah, no fatal flaws yet. So... Are we sure? <laughs> yes, positive. Because all it takes is one lucky bounce in game four of the playoffs to get out of the round, and all of a sudden you say, oh, they're six on five. It's a beautiful thing. Or So for me, I separate the losses or the leads from six on five. Because you look around the league, there's tons of teams losing leads in games. Like it's inevitable. Last night Edmonton was down three nothing, they're three two. Like it's a game. And then they, they blow it from there. But every night, every single night in the National Hockey League, teams are blowing two or three goal leads. Now, the issue with the Bruins, and there is an issue is six on five. That is the issue. That's what's leading into those eight losses in re- in after uh, a third period. Now, only one of those is regulation. So, again, that leads, again, to they're not blowing leads prior to six on five. They're blowing a lot of leads because of six on five. And I think that stat of seven regular or seven overtime losses after leading after three is or after two is the issue to six on five. And we saw it in game seven. We saw them not being able to do it. It goes all the way back to that. Cause if they close out game seven, six on five, then they're start. They're still playing hockey from last season. And for me, it's six on five has to be fixed. It has to be looked at. It has to be dissected to the, to the absolute minuscule because for some reason they can't close out. And every other team in the league closes out six on five, except for the Las Vegas golden Knights who are tied or one ahead of Bruin six on five goals, which is also interesting. Yeah, and, and you would think they would be decent at that because they have a good penalty kill, right? It's similar. Well, you're, you're down had, one guy had, had a good penalty kill. Good and penalty that's kill. really and that's really what it comes down to. It's like, okay, usually a good penalty killing team is also pretty good um with the other team's extra attacker on the ice and, you know, clearing the puck, getting it out of the zone. But they have they had a lot of trouble getting it out. Uh, with the extra attacker on the ice, they lost two faceoffs, both with Zaka on the ice for those last two goals. And that that's another issue as well. They, you know, they're usually pretty good at faceoffs, but if you don't win the draw, you have to find a way to get possession and get the puck out. Yeah, the the faceoffs there are an issue. Leaving guys uncovered at the front of the net has been an issue on a few of these. Uh you saw that last night with you know, one of them Bester gets open off a faceoff. Forbert's a little slow getting over. Another one, Besser set up in front and allowed to screen Swayman. Uh, I think Carlo had a stick tied up and not didn't get the body out of the way. Then the overtime winner, it's it's a power play, which I think another issue in these has been some really costly penalties by the Bruins, uh, bad times, mental mistakes. In this case, it's Jake DeBrus jumping on the ice way too early for a too many men. Uh, and again, it's Besser ends up with with too much space at the front, and Bruins couldn't couldn't deny the pass into him. Didn't have a stick tied up, so there's a lot of issues here. I think to get through, Razor, I'm gonna push back on on you separating 
the comebacks from the six on from the six on five extra attacker situations because to me they are connected. I think it's the same idea of they're getting backed up too much, they're getting too conservative, and it's starting to snowball downhill on them and they can't stop it. And I think that's culminating in the six on five, giving up that extra attacker goal. But to me it's starting before that. I mean they were hemmed in that entire third period. And even after Vancouver gets one, you're thinking maybe that lights a spark under them. Maybe they get more aggressive, get back into this. They still ended up in their own zone. They couldn't recover from that. And then it it almost feels inevitable with this team at this point that it's just going to keep rolling downhill on them until they get give up that extra attacker goal. And I we're going to get into, you know, trade deadline stuff, uh, some interesting discussion from the likes of Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick this week about Lena Selmark with the Bruins listen on him. Where it leads to me is, you know, I have generally been of the mind that, like, you're going to kind of play out this year, maybe make a couple minor moves. I now wonder if, like, a bigger shakeup is on the table before this deadline, uh, especially involving guys who maybe aren't part of your future plans because it it does feel to me like it's almost in this team's DNA and like in their heads that they just can't close out these games. It's what cost them in the first round against Florida last year. And they've had all season to try to get this figured out. And it's still a problem. It's uh, I think, I think it's so unfair and, and so far fetched to say it's in their DNA, et cetera, et cetera, because they have 81 points. They're literally the they're, they have the second most points in the National Hockey League through fifty nine games in in this season, and so that means there's literally thirty other teams that would love to have the record that the Bruins have in the National Hockey League right now. So so to go that these guys can't close, they can't finish, like they finished thirty four other games um, that that no one else has finished. So. I I agree there's issues and I agree that six on five has been a problem and uh, last night certainly they sat back way too much. I don't think sitting back has been their, their issue every single time that they've lost after the third period. I think it's been a bunch of different things. Uh, so... So yeah, it, I think it's it's it just it's it's a little knee jerky because of what's happened this week and in, in the last eight days, and now all of a sudden um, the the DNA of this team is broken when the fact is they have almost this, the most amount of points in the league. And I think another thing that correlates with the the losses and the the not extending leads, and and that's you know another reason why you're allowing teams to get back in is the that they haven't been successful on the power play. So they mm-hmm. get four chances against Vancouver. I went back, did the math in the four games since we had the last Sunday skate, they're one for 11 on the power play. That's 9%. That's not good. Um, and they're, they're you can even extend that to the, they're three for 34 since the all-star break, which is like, it's like the same. It's like 8.8%. Like, yeah, that's not good enough. And, and, and again, you go, all of these games are one goal games. All if you get, if you get three more power play goals, now there's three games they didn't blow leads or three games we're not yeah. talking about it and, and three more points. So, um, again, it, it's it's broader than just um, one or two of these little things that were po- – it, it, it is it is a whole thing. It, it, when you're 3-3-4 three, three, and four and 
which, again, you can back into it. They have uh, seven losses in their last 10 games. I mean, that doesn't feel good. And anyone following the team doesn't like the loss, whether it's an overtime or shootout or in regulation. It's a loss is a loss. Even if you uh, can accept the point some nights, it's still a loss. So I understand the, 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 the fact that people are upset about it. Uh, I just, it's just, a, you got to be careful about making a knee jerk um, on this when you start talking about the DNA needs to get changed and now we have to blow the thing up at the deadline. That's that's yeah, my... Uh, I don't, I don't want to blow it up. I wouldn't use that word, but shake it up. I think that should be on the table. Like, just something that changes the look a little. Just something that gives them a different feel going forward. Um, because... If they more or less stand pat, maybe it's a depth move somewhere. What is this team's ceiling? Because it it doesn't feel like a Stanley Cup team to me. And I, I understand where they are in the standings. I understand they've won a lot of games. They have a lot of points. But you can't blow leads in the playoffs. You have to close these games out. And, again, we're now going on three quarters of a season and the playoffs last year. Where this has been an issue, and well, I just we think- can't do the play- we can do the playoffs last year for the sake of like the conversation, but you can't do it when you're talking about roster because they literally have three centers that were in the lineup last year in Game Seven that aren't in the lineup now. So you, you can't you can't do both when it comes to roster construction because they have changed the roster significantly since Game Seven last year. Sure, but it, it's it's a lot of the same guys. It's the same coaching staff. So like it's fire it's the still- coach. No, I'm not okay. going. I'm not going right, there okay, yet. Okay, just making sure. Not going there yet. Uh, have we had that? Have we had callers calling into the other shows saying fire Jim <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm sure you coming. can find them. It might be coming. I mean, it might yeah. be coming. Call, call in if you want to do that. Six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. Um, no, but that they, they haven't been able to to solve this problem, and I get like you you don't. If you're going to trade Linus Allmark, say, like, if you're going to do something that big, you have to get this great return. Well, I don't know. Can, can you, quote, unquote, lose the trade and still come out with a different look that works better down the stretch? Or, or, or someone else. You know, they have pending free agents. Grizzly, Forbert, DeBrusque. Like, I think sometimes these shakeup moves or moves that just change the look of your team a little can benefit you. And I would point to the 2011 Bruins. It, on a player-for-player player basis, they did not win the Blake Wheeler for Rich Peverly trade. Blake Wheeler was a better player than Rich Peverly, but Rich Peverly was more what that team needed. He fit a bigger need on that team and played the way that they wanted to play. 2004 Red Sox traded away Nomar Garciaparra, was by far the best player that got moved in the series of trades they made. It was a huge shakeup, and it paid off. So that's where I come at it as... It's not blowing it up. I'm not trading away, like, my captain. Like, I'm not doing anything that stupid. I'm saying shake it up. I'm saying, like, give this team a different look because I don't think their ceiling is is Stanley Cup team the way that they're constructed right now and the way that they keep blowing these leads. I'm very proud of you for getting in a Nomar Garcia-Para reference. Okay. I'm, I'm ha- I didn't think that name would good. ever come up really on the good. skate podcast, but he was my favorite, and I was devastated by that <laughs> trade. So thanks for bringing that up, Scott. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that we'll get more into this because I think we got to hit trending soon. But Scott has a lot of feelings about this that he told me about before we got on the air. Glad we have two hours. Um, yeah, and mm. he, he's written about it this week. And, uh, and there was some trade rumors involving Allmark once again. It, it cropped up last year. It's cropping up again. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about whether or not we think that, uh, you know, there's there's some talk going on with management about the possibility of really actually um, trying to trade him away. Yeah, I want to get to that next. Uh, again, you can call in 617-779-7937. Let us, let us know how you feel. Are, do you want a big trade? Are you more optimistic with Razor? You think they can, can play through it? Or are you feeling pessimistic like I am? Uh, you can also text us, 37937. Bridges got you trending, and we'll be back after this. You're listening to Sunday Skate on WEEI. Teams out there do believe that the Bruins are trying to upgrade their roster. And all you have to do is look at what they are capable of and say, it's not coming out of the draft. Do they really want to deal their top prospects, some of whom have already played in the NHL? I don't think so. So if they want to make changes, it probably has to come off their roster. And that's why I think people are looking at Allmark. Okay, that is Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast talking about the Bruins options as they approach the trade deadline. And, you know, what what he doesn't mention there, but what is also worth mentioning as far as, yeah, if the Bruins are going to bring in anyone of significance, they have to trade off the active roster. The other part of it is they have no cap space. So there has to be money in, money out. Like, it has almost an exact match. Um, so he's talking about Allmark coming up, and he's not reporting that the Bruins are shopping Allmark or that a trade's likely or anything like that. He's, I think, mostly speculating, but based on, you know, some whispers he's heard, uh, you know, Elliot Friedman doesn't just make things up. He doesn't just throw things out there that that aren't at least being discussed in some hockey circles somewhere around the league. So that caught my ear this week because it it feels like that is a little bit of a shift uh, from other things that we've heard, you know, especially locally. It feels like we we all kind of just take it for granted that they're not going to trade a goalie in season. If it's going to happen, they're going to wait till the summer. And this talk kind of, even before Saturday's loss, sort of opened my mind to the possibility that, hey, maybe, maybe that is the route to go. If they feel like they need, you know, to add a significant player, Linus Allmark is a valuable asset. He has a $5 million cap hit that does free up a good chunk of money. Is it on the table? Razor, what do you what do you make of this coming up? Well, it's e- It's easy. Right, it's easy. It's easy for because uh, this started with Biz, right? And and Biz is the best, and and uh, what he's done and and how he's built that whole thing uh, is nuts. Uh, but Biz brings it up this week. Now Elliot seems to have to kind of piggyback it uh, because that's the talk this week, and he's on Hockey Night in Canada. I don't, I don't understand, and no one's been able to explain this to me. No one's been able to 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 tell me what. Linus Allmark's worth that's and that's that's where it begins and end for me because I don't see how any other team 
is going to value Linus Allmark more than what the Boston Bruins value Linus Allmark right now. Um, I can, I think the narrative and people want Linus Allmark to be traded because you say significant asset, right? Is that is that a? a t- I think people think that Linus Allmark is worth is going to get traded for a top six forward or a top four defenseman. And that's not going to happen, folks. Like that—that's not what he is worth to everybody else. You're not trading him for Leon Drysital, or like the, you know, like that was literally the talk at the start of the year. Well, maybe you'll be able to get Drysital's contract c- coming up. Like maybe you get Linus Allmark for Leon Drysital. Like that's not the the case. You're not getting Linus Allmark for Noah Hannafin straight up. That's not that that isn't going to be what your, the value is for Linus Allmark, and that so that's. That's where it kind of begins and ends for me is that you're not you can't trade Linus Allmark midseason or Jeremy Sway any goalie that is important to you for a second round pick in the middle of the season. Yeah, I, I just don't know how that's possible. Uh, I don't you don't trade him for a prospect. Uh, I would agree with you if you could get a top six forward or a top three D for one of these goaltenders, you do it. But I, that's that's just not the case because the New Jersey Devils need a goaltender more than anybody. Uh, there's four or five other teams that could use a goalie, but you look at the New Jersey Devils, they, they're not making a trade for new, anybody. They're just happy to, to use a three-goalie rotation because they don't value a goaltender as much as all the other teams do. So I will note, two years ago, Marc-Andre Fleury did get a first-round pick midseason. So it, it's it's... The goalie trades midseason are, are rare, but there are examples where teams that have felt like they were goalie short have, have splurged and have given up a real asset. Yeah, and do you have the other side of that trade in front of you? Like the the um like was it just straight up a first round pick? Uh I believe there might have been a and couple other they, like pieces I, involved, but that was essentially it. It was a, Minnesota Wild got Mark Andre Fleury, Chicago Blackhawks got a first round pick. But see, for the Bruins, then they would have to turn around and get rid of that first round pick for something like that to yeah. get an actual piece and use that first round pick to to go after Noah Hannafin. Because more than likely, you're trading Allmark to a team that needs a goalie, but that team might not be the team that has who you want on it. So you have to find a way to to turn it around and make another move with whatever you get from them. So yeah, and I'm I'm totally okay with that. Like if if you're Riz, I think you're right. It's probably not going to be a straight-up hockey trade where you trade Lena Selmark for top six forward or top four defenseman. Maybe that's out there, but I, I kind of doubt it too. But if you trade them for the assets or asset that allows you to turn around and then go make that other trade to bring in that impact skater, like that makes sense to me as well. And so I guess like I, I would point out, because they've been linked to Noah Hannafin for a while, and salary-wise, that lines up. So let's say it's more or less that. Like, Allmark goes out and Hannafin comes in. Maybe there's an extra asset or two somewhere along the way. But if it's essentially that, would you do it? No, I wouldn't because Noah Hannafin doesn't solve six on five or all these other issues that we just talked about, blowing leads. I think you get you could and, – and Noah Hannafin's probably coming here in the summer anyways. Why would you give up a, a, a huge asset for a guy who prob- who wants to come here, who's openly said he wants to come here, and is probably the reason why he hasn't got traded is because everyone around the league is talking how he wants to go to Boston and he wants to sign with Boston. So, well, does that maybe lower his trade value a little bit? It certainly does. So maybe you don't have to give up the first rounder. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 
Okay, so yeah, I, of course. I'm, I've... And it also makes your team better when you need them to be better this year in the playoffs. Like, Correct. You, you can't. We, we just we just backed into a lot of ifs, though. That's yeah, my we only did. thing. We, it, it's, <laughs> we just backed into a lot of ifs. So it's like I hate doing the fantasy football trades. Like, let's be realistic about this. And the context to it, Billy Guerin was the general manager of the Minnesota Wild at that time who won a Stanley Cup with Marc-Andre Fleury, who loves Marc-Andre Fleury, won't trade him, loves him more than anything, and is happy to give up a first-rounder. At the same time, he was buying out like 30 contracts just to get his buddy Marc-Andre Fleury. So a little context to that deal as well is that you know, there's no Linus Allmark lovers like Bill Guerin loves Marc-Andre Fleury out there. So I I, I think that mark has changed a little bit, even if it was just a couple of years ago. Uh, It's... I want to see deals get made. I want to see the Boston Bruins get better. I, I think I think we're all on the same page there. I just don't know if the goalie is the piece that is going to substantially do that. I, 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 I'm, I think they're going to have to get more creative and find different ways to do it. That's my only thing. I think they would trade them if they can make their team better. I really do, but I... Th- I guess my thing is I don't think that that's possible. That, that's because I just haven't seen it happen. I haven't seen any trades made in the NHL uh, other than Calgary, Winnipeg, Montreal, and Vancouver. Um, no one else is dealing, and and a lot of other teams and a lot of other goalies have been more thrown out there, like the Markstrom thing, right? We've heard Markstrom for months, and why is no one making that deal? Like, Calgary would love to make that deal, and they've asked him to, to, take, to waive his no trade, and no one's doing it, so why is that? And, and usually I get to someone's not giving enough or, or not taking enough. Yeah, I, I lean more with Razor on this. I, I like the premise, Scott, of it's okay to – but I'm, I'm, I'm more apt to do what you're saying and to trade out money and potentially not 100% win the trade. Maybe you don't get quite as much back. Um, if it's maybe Jake DeBrusque or if it's Mac like and you have to give up a little bit more to get rid of his, his salary, like – what about oh. one of your prospects? What about Beecher or Lizell well, then- or any of these guys? We keep seeing guys. We keep hearing, well, the Bruins don't have any prospects. And then you look at their third or fourth line last night. There are three guys that started in the minors that are all developing pretty well. Like, they're they're coming up and contributing and playing. So, can can I, like, I would be, that might, one, there might be a lot more value there. Two, are those guys more isn't it easier to get those guys out the door than, than a goalie who just won the Vesna and who's actually really contributing right now? Well, yeah, that, it, it is, but that doesn't solve the money issue. That's what I was so going to say. Yeah. still got to figure that part out, and that's where, Bridget, to your point, maybe it's a Grizzlick, Forbert, even if you're targeting a forward, even maybe DeBrusque. Um, the, the issue there, so... Rizzy, you're right. Like they, they have guys who can come up and contribute. Now, I would say the guys on the fourth line are are guys who have been around, right? Like Anthony Richard and Justin Brazo have don't have much NHL experience, but they're 26, 27 years old. Um, with their top prospects, like the issue there is you have so few young players who have top six or top four upside. So if you think, you know, I think Mason Lorai is already getting close to that. Like he, he's played top four minutes on this road trip and held his own just fine. So if you think he's a future top four defenseman, that's tough to give up because you don't really have another one of those. Yeah, yeah you're not uh, trading Lowry. No. Can I bring up a name that we haven't talked about in a while because he's out for the rest of the season? Matt Patra. Like, again, again. are are they move? Are they willing to move Matt Patra for uh, a top six forward 
I know in, in some sort of a package, probably it's not just going to be Matt Patra, but that's someone that we talked about in the beginning of the season as being like untouchable, but I'm sure the Bruins are taking calls about, you know, about prospects and he would be someone on that list that people might be interested in because he's so young and he has potential in the future. And how much do the Bruins value that center prospect? Um, and, you know, maybe another team's looking for that. It's not going to help them this year, but you're talking about a seller. So they're not trying to make a playoff run this year anyway. Yeah. It, it, in terms of like legitimate blue chip type prospects, like it's basically those two, Lori Patra and Fabian Lysel. Like that, that's essentially it. Even, you know, Georgie Merkulov is lighting up the AHL, but he's also what, 23 years old. Like he's, he's further along in his development. So the ceiling's probably a little lower. Um, all right, let's let's get uh, the phone lines involved here. Let's go to go to Maria from Watertown, our, our usual leadoff hitter. Maria, good morning. What do you got? Uh, good, good morning, Razor. I'm going to disagree with you, but I'm going to do it respectfully because I, I think this issue is not just a six v five. It starts with five v five, and I frankly am sick and tired of hearing. The, you know, Brandon Carlo in the post game and Coach Montgomery in the post game, blah, 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 saying the same things over and over again and not effectuating any change. When do we start holding this coaching staff accountable for what is transpiring on the ice? These are not small sample sizes at this point. And last I checked, bend, don't break doesn't work in this new NHL. And so I'm, I'm, I'm baffled about, you know, why when, when you've got Brazo, Anthony Richard, Boquist, those guys were your best players last night, your best line. I didn't see them making any egregious mistakes. Then yet when I go and I look at their ice time, they're, they're virtually all under 12 minutes of ice time for a full game. So, you know, I, I think that the coaching staff needs to start looking themselves in the mirror as well as these core players, and figuring out why they can't close out a game. Good teams, any good team in any sport has the ability, before it even gets to overtime, to close out their opponents. And this is not a cycle that is going to lend itself for any sustained playoff success. So, I, again... I'm I'm baffled, I'm aggravated, and I'm frustrated because it's it's time to stop talking and it's time to start making whatever changes that Coach Montgomery alluded to last night in his post game about looking at the personnel on the ice. All right, thank thank you, Maria. Great great call, passion. I thought she might be like going down that road. We thought like calling and, and ask for Montgomery to get fired. No, but she was hold, she was holding him more accountable than we have so far. We're kind of blaming some of the players, but obviously coaching is involved in this, and um, she's not happy. And I didn't think that the changes that he made to the power play units helped at all. I, I thought the power play units looked terrible against Vancouver. Moving DeBrusque and Geeky to that top unit did not do anything to help their their cause they went 0 for 4 and um you know those those adjustments that he made didn't work so there's there's got to be more to come yeah and and, Nika I don't know if we have this ready to go but Montgomery after the game talked about maybe he's going to the the same well too many times talking specifically about the the six on five situations um but he yeah like you 
I think it is fair to question coaching's role in this. You know, we hear Montgomery, and it sounds like he sounds like he can identify the issues. He says they sat back too much. He wants them to be more aggressive. You know, maybe try different personnel. But at some point, when it keeps happening, like is 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 it getting through? Like, it, okay, so let, let's hear from Montgomery. We we got this. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Guys, Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Razor Raycroft. It's Sunday Skate on WEEI. Yes, Sunday Skate is back. More of the guys. I'm Scott and McLaughlin. Bridget. And with Andrew Razor Raycroft. We're still working on And that. the girl, Bridget Pritt. We're still, we're still working on the intro, I guess. We uh, we'll, get we'll get that. We'll get that done. Bothers we're, me. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna make a trade for a new intro uh before the deadline. Yes, that's, please. That's what we're doing. I'm willing I'm willing to give up assets to get that fixed. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go to Jay in North Carolina, uh, who has some some thoughts on the Bruins. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, folks. The lunch pail crew, the diehards on a Sunday. Good to talk to you. Listen, uh, I want to tell you that the uh, defense wins championships, and the defense begins with the goalies. You've got two of the best goalies in the league, the tandem of the best goalies in the league. I wouldn't even think of trading them. But as I say, uh, the, the Bru- I watched the Bruins. They have a good chemistry among them. I, if it works, don't fix it. And I think it was uh, Ray Cross' point about playing the money. <laughs> That's a good point. Tough to de- tough to talk about that. All right, thanks, Jay. Uh, so on on the on the goalies. L- listen, I think to explain like where my changes come is, you know, I was of the of the mindset that. You only trade Allmark if you're getting a a great haul in return. Basically, if someone's overpaying. What's changed for me is I'm now open to it doesn't necessarily have to be maximum value. But, Razor, I, I am curious about this, though, because we talk about two goalies being a strength. Does that continue to be a strength in the playoffs? Would you be open to the rotation? Would you be open to using both or... Because I kind of feel like if if you're going to go back to, hey, just ride the hot hand, like how much value does having two great goalies, how much does that carry in the playoffs? I don't know. Um, like, I, I just keep... I just keep going back to, like, the circumstance of the playoffs. So we keep talking about, like, the the the... 
how the playoffs shake out. And I think last year was such an example of like you don't you need things to fall your way and you need matchups to be bright. But that that I guess that's separate to your question. Your question about the goaltenders, I, I don't see how a rotation works. I, I've explained why I don't think a rotation works. I, I don't think you go in saying this is going to be a solid rotation no matter what happens. We're not making any adjustments to it. We're just going to roll a rotation because inevitably and inevitably it's going to happen. Goalie's going to lose one nothing game one. The next goalie's going to win 5-4 the next game. The next goalie's going to lose one nothing Game four, the next guy's going to win 5-4 and barely hang on. And now you're looking at game five, a pivotal game. One goalie's given up two goals on 100 shots in two games. The other goalie's given up eight shots, eight goals on 40 shots. But he's got two wins. Who are you playing in game five? Are you going back to the guy that's lost? Are you going back to... Like, it just causes so much angst within the team and with the goalies and the coaches. Guys just want to go with one guy. Now, I know you're going to need two goalies to win a Stanley Cup. I think that's been proven the last couple of years, unless you have Andre Vasilevsky. But to get out of the first round, and that's really the only focus of all of these teams is to get out of the first round and we'll deal with the rest, is you probably only need one guy. And I guess that takes away from the argument that you need two guys as strength. But I think that with this team, with this group, you just can't afford... To, to not have both of these guys playing till the end of the season. And you really hope, you really, really hope that one of them takes the ball and runs with it for the first time in three years because they haven't done it, right? I, and, and maybe that's a little bit on the goalies too, right? Like we don't hear a lot of goalie chatter like maybe the six on fives on the goalies. I, I love both goalies. I think they're the, they're the greatest people. They're great goaltenders. I would want them on my team all day, every day. But maybe they need to make a save six on five. Maybe they needed to make a save in the playoffs. Maybe these goalies aren't good enough. Like, it, and, and maybe that makes it harder to trade one of them because we don't know if either one of them can actually do it. And we're, maybe we're a little – like all of those things add into it. So the, the two-goalie thing does cause problems come playoff time. Uh, I think you need one of them, but I think also you can get one of these guys to get on a hot streak for just six days. Just six days. That's all I want to steal two victories in a playoff round in the middle of April. It is so funny, like listening to you talk about how they need two goalies and then like you're like, no, we're not going two goalies in the yeah. playoffs. Oh. But like, so here's my thing. And I'm not going to like question your like your knowledge comes from being a goalie and understanding goaltenders way more than I do. But in your situation where you're explaining, like, you split goaltending, you know, one loses the first game, one wins the second game, first guy loses another game, th- then at that point, you, you you know, you rotate the first four games, and then you're like, okay, now we might have settled on someone. Like, once we see the little bit of a sample size in the playoffs and who's going at the time, then you can take that guy and roll with it. But to start out, I don't think it's, like, day one we're going Omar whole series because that also backfired and caused angst. Like you mentioned when it was, when it's like, okay, well we have this other goalie that's right here, ready to go. He is chomping at the bit to get in. And then you put him in, in game seven and, and he didn't have, you know, it was just a tough situation to come in. Right. We, we did a couple of those episodes. Oh yeah. A couple of those shows last year where it was, do you make the change now? Yeah. Did they wait too long to make the change? Like you're going to swim in cold for game seven. So I think either way, if you have two really good goalies, unless the guy you start with just runs with it and is excellent throughout the playoffs, there's going to be issues regardless because you're going to have that other goalie 
who you know is really good, and you're going to, even if you're not doing a rotation, you're going to have those questions of, okay, well, Allmark looked a little off for one game. Okay, but then he bounced back. Oh, but then he looked a little off again. And now it's like, all right, is one bad game enough to make the change? Is two bad games enough? Like, or or not even bad games, mediocre games, okay games, one soft goal. Like, no matter what, if you have two really good goalies, you're going to have those questions of how, when and how do you make changes. So I think those those problems are there almost regardless. But I, I would say if they're going to keep both goalies and rotate them down the stretch here, if that's working as you get to the playoffs, like it, this was my thing last year, keep doing whatever's working in the regular season. So if they're both playing well down the stretch and you're rotating, keep it going in the playoffs. That's where I am. Is like if you're going to keep them because they're the, this great asset, then you better be willing to use them. Like like don't then don't then try to ride one of them for seven straight games when you you said it they haven't done it. Well, and now I will say Swayman hasn't gotten that chance to be the number one from game one, right? The last two years, it's been Ulmark who started the series and Swayman's ended up finishing it. Yeah, and, and Swayman played the five straight at the end uh, against Carolina. Uh, I think I think this year might lend itself a little easier to go to a rotation if there ever was one because neither one of them are going to be Vesna Trophy guys. I think, you know, Again, Lena Solmark lost six games all year or something ridiculous. Um, so no one ever thought he was going to lose four in a week. I mean, that was my whole thing. How is this team going to lose four games in, in eight days? They did, uh, shockingly. But you, you this year lends itself because neither one of – they've all kind of been the same. You know, I know Swayman went to the All-Star game, but they've essentially been the same. I think Allmark had some tougher games than Swayman at the – like they could be – pretty identical and and so maybe that lends itself to the rotation I just internally it is really difficult just like it is really difficult for these guys that are actually making these deals actually making these calls to worry about the goaltender on a daily basis it just like it's going to be difficult in Toronto because they don't have a goalie they have three guys that are okay that's a very difficult situation as well and they would probably rather have two really good guys and think about a rotation rather than wondering who's actually going to make a save for them so the goaltending is always different difficult. kind, different kind of rotation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or Detroit Red Wings, right? They're getting in the playoffs. They have Alex Lyon, who we know is going to suck in game two, just like he did here in Boston. Like it's going, it's inevitable. Uh, really, it's Vasilevsky is the only guy, and and probably the Rangers. But even then, with Shesterkin, you're going to get some calls for quick if they lose a couple of games because it's Shesterkin losing. So I look at this Eastern Conference and I see a goalie issue everywhere. Philadelphia Flyers, Sam Erson, a rookie. What's how's he going to do? So, it, it everyone has their own little battles with the goaltending, and that this is the Bruins. This is always going to be the Bruins until these guys are here. We're always going to talk about it. it. It's not a position of weakness, though, and you just want one of them to grab the ball and, and post three shutout G Gear guy like in the first round, so we can get through the first round and then all the talk, then you can play both guys because then it won't matter as much. It's the first five games that everyone's concerned about, right? Once you get through that, once you get to game 16 of the playoffs, someone else can play and it's not going to really change things. All right. We got hour two of Sunday skate coming up. We're going till 11 a.m. Scott McLaughlin, Andrew Raycroft, Bridget Pru. Colin, tell us what you think. Do the Bruins need to do, do something big? Should they trade a goalie? Are you open to it? 617-779-7937. We'll be back right after this. 
Jazz and Star Market, perfecting the art of fresh on WEEI. Taka, right in. DeBrus. Oh, Welcome back to Sunday Skate, Hour 2. Scott McLaughlin, Andrew Raycroft, Bridget Pru. That was Charlie McAvoy's overtime winner against the Oilers on Wednesday. Incredibly entertaining game. Now, Yeah, ended at 1.10 in the morning. But it's <laughs> yeah, okay. It was one of those ones where it was like, okay, they're on the West Coast. This game should be really interesting. I don't want to fall asleep. A 0-0 game into the third. And it had everything. It had fights. It had a lot of goals. It had a great game winner by McAvoy, unfortunately. Um I had my head on the pillow. I watched it all the way through, but I was like, it was a struggle. Um, But I, so I asked Nico to come back with this because, um, you know, we've been focusing a lot on the last game and, but it, it's been four games since we, we started. And one of those games was that very entertaining Edmonton game. And um, we had this debate on uh, the skate pod. Was that McAvoy's like prettiest goal of his career? I think it was. I, we we went and looked back at some of his other nicer goals, and I just think the finish on that was he was falling down. Like I don't know, it was it took a lot for him to put that in, and, and it looked nice, and it came like it was just like a exclamation point at the end of that game. It was certainly an exclamation point, and the stars on the ice, uh, McAvoy rose to that occasion with that play. You watch that, and you. You almost want more from him at times when when he when he does that, but it's it's more. You see the contrast of it, right? When he does it, it's like a bull, and when Quinn Hughes does it, he's like uh, it's like a little butterfly kind of floating around. Where McAvoy toe drag is literally puts his head down, he's falling, he's rolling around, but he has the the dexterity and the body control to to be able to chip it in at, with that backhand at the end. It was it was a beauty. I don't remember a better one from him. Uh, I know there has been, but um, he seems to, he he's doing a good job with over, like he scores goals in overtime. He's got that low blocker wrister where he finds his way into the slot. And now he's got the toe drag that, that people are biting on a little bit. So uh, his grow, his game offensively continues to grow in those kind of smaller situations. But overall, the, there's not many defensemen better than him in the league. There just isn't uh, that, that can, eat 26 minutes, play physical the way he does, and then still have the the touch offensively. Uh, it's it's the full package, and you could probably get a lot for him on the trade deadline. So, no, you know. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. Okay. Just for, for the record, not, not really going there. Fill the cabinet with him <laughs> going somewhere. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, it opens up a lot of cap space, but I don't think that's... He, uh, yeah. yeah, he definitely has a knack in, in overtime. Yeah. Uh, and, you know... He's got three game-winning goals this year as a defenseman. It, it makes you wish, like, you'd see him get get into that slot area, get more of those finishes uh, in close and, in, in, you know, five-on-five five situations, regulation, even power play. I think there's times he can, he can be more aggressive from that center point position instead of always just staying back there. Like, maybe that – we're talking about how can they fix the power play. That could be one thing. It's like, how can you get McAvoy – down lower like get him out of that center point spot where it seems like he's always he's always kind of within the same I don't know 10 by 10 yeah and earlier in his career he was he was rotating a lot more on the power play the first few seasons that he was that he was called upon uh to be on the power play if you he'd 
do that give and go, like he find his way down towards the net. And in, in college, he was really good at cycling around. You'd find him anywhere um, during the power play when he was in college at BU. So uh, we know he can do it. And, and that might be a good way to get more rotation. Like you said, the, at this point, they're they're kind of in a situation where they need to try everything to try to get that power play going. So. Yeah, that 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 pass to Crutch is just so hard to get away from, right? And that that's why he kind of has to stay up there because it has to be a right-handed shot. Like over the years, typically Pasta hits it better with the right-handed shot up there. That that's just the way his his angle, the spin off the pass, the spin off his shot. He likes that right-hander, just the the angle that puck comes. So it's up to McAvoy to kind of facilitate that, and and I think he has to take a backseat, but. But all of that, I, I think he could do a better job at finding a shot and, and taking a slapper from there and, and having that converge, at least from Marshawn and Van Riemsdyk uh, over on that side, getting to the front of the net. And, and, and Zaka, if he is in the bumper, turning and getting to the front of the net and, and, and making it a little simpler at times. Uh, it's just, it is, you can see it's difficult. When you have a guy who scores 60 goals, you want to, force it a little more when the power play is going bad. And, and that that's what gets the Bruins in trouble. But but it's also human nature to understand why it, it is something that gets forced. Yeah. yeah. One other thing they, they have to figure out on the power play is the bumper. They've they've been moving guys in and out of there all year. Look, obviously you had Patrice Bergeron locked in there forever. So naturally, like, there's going to be a step back. There's going to be – it's going to take time to figure it out, but – They've tried Zaka there, Coyle, Morgan Geeky, the latest, and none of it really seems to ever stick. Maybe they just just they just don't have a good bumper guy. I I don't know, but like they gotta gotta figure out some way to to have someone who's effective from that spot. And I don't I don't think Geeky's gonna be the answer. I know they tried that. You shake things up. I, I also just think Morgan Geeky can't be the only center on your top power play unit. Because he's not good enough on faceoffs, I think he's forty three percent for the season. Like, you're just risking losing that first draw, and they clear it down. There it goes twenty seconds. Yeah, and it, it's that right handed shot, right? That that Patrice was because then you could work over on the right wing and leave David to kind of find his way. Whereas when you have Zaka, you got over on the left. It seems like they're using the bumper over on the left, which allows them to cover three guys, including David with two. And it's hard to circle and move. So that's I think that's why they're trying to get geeky because that gives it over on the other side. And, and it worked a little bit for a couple weeks around Christmas time, but it's. I feel like everyone wants Zaka out there. I feel like they like or more comfortable with him. But again, it does change the dynamic because it's over on the left side rather than the right. And uh, if you could find, maybe it's maybe it's McAvoy that needs to go down there. I, I don't. I don't McAvoy know. Like in the bumper. put McAvoy <laughs> in the bumper. We're talking about moving around. Like I, you could do that. Put him on the right hand bumper. Like tar uh, and net front back. Correct. In the day. Exactly. <laughs> and then maybe have you know put Shattenkirk up top so you have that right shot still going over. Like again, none of this is happening. I just thought of it in my head right now. But I'm trying to think well, of was... right shot guys <laughs> that could go over there because I think that's what makes everyone more comfortable i was joking with scott that if they can't find anyone they like in the bumper just go no bumper back like old school no old bumper school. <laughs> umbrella in an eye yeah I, just we, kidding but <laughs> yeah we, we were talking off air like we 
we watch a lot of college hockey and Northeastern runs a power play without a bumper and it like it looks so foreign. Like <laughs> I'm like it's hard to believe like 15 years ago this is what every power play looked like. It uh, all right, the Bridget, overload is so funny, right? It's hilarious yeah. that, it, that it was there. Bridget, do you have other other questions? Yeah, I do. I do. So this is it's something that affects the team quite a bit. But um, so we were talking about how, remember last Sunday we were saying, okay, Monday, Bruins have Dallas, need to finish out the road trips, uh, or the homestand strong. So they they beat Dallas in the shootout Monday. And that, that was, you know, Dallas is one of the better teams in the league right now. Um, so they end the homestand on a high note, but they lose Hampus Lindholm. And so Hampus Lindholm doesn't make the road trip. Mason Lorai gets recalled from Providence. And so uh, I want to get your opinion on how he, how you've liked him since he got called up because he had that three-assist game against Edmonton, probably his best game as a pro so far. Uh, and he has looked good on this road trip. And it, it begs the question, like, with him – playing well if he if he keeps playing well in his call-up do you even consider sending him back down is he someone that sticks in your lineup and does that change what you do at the trade deadline on defense I don't think it changes what you do on the defense at the deadline I think the idea whether he goes back down to the minors could change depending on what they do at the deadline if that makes sense yeah, it does so because I don't, he's the easy option to send down because he doesn't have to get waived. Of course, and you can call him back up as soon as the playoffs start if you wanted him around. Or like, there's there's options there, and I think depending on who they get or if they get or what they get, uh, it it might be that position where Lowry is. Now, I, I thought he was great. Of course, three assists is great in Edmonton, but him backing it up in Calgary and not really noticing him was very important to me. I, I didn't want to see him go back to wheeling and dealing against Calgary. I wanted him to settle in and make plays and be a defenseman. And, and I thought he did that against Calgary, which was really bo- a big bonus. Uh, I thought the same against Vancouver. He didn't really get out in the play. didn't really turn the puck over. I thought he was pretty solid. So, yes, it's been a really good three days uh, for Mason Lowry. And he's making it tough especially with the way that last pairing is played to take him out of the lineup. Yeah. I think each time he's come up this season, he's looked better than the last, like his first stretch up here, which kind of ended around Thanksgiving. You saw the flashes offensively. You saw the transition game, but you also saw him get exposed a bit in his own end. And you, you knew, okay, there's stuff he has to work on there. Okay. With sending him down. Like, He's he's a first year pro. He, he's gonna learn it. Second time he came up, I thought I thought he was playing pretty well, and I I didn't think he deserved to get sent back down that second stretch. I think it was just a numbers game where Forber was coming back from injury, Wotherspoon was playing well, and there was a waiver situation. So he because he can go down without waivers, he was the odd man out, and now he comes up this time because of injury to to Lindholm, and yeah, I think he's looked really solid and. I think it could change your your deadline plans because if you if Mason Laura can handle top four minutes, that is a huge plus. I'm still not I'm not quite there to the point of saying he can do it in the playoffs. That's a different beast, but he's doing it right now and he, and he's looking pretty good doing it. And you know, like does that if if Noah Hannafin was your top target, if Mason Laura can be 
70% of 75% of Noah Hannafin. I know they're slightly different players, but it's that same idea of a mobile guy who can play in your top four. All right. Do you say, you know what? We'll revisit the Hannafin conversation in the summer. Let's go get a, a, a score. Let's go get a forward. Like it, it could change it that way. If you think he can be a real contributor and player for you down the stretch. The, the, the little bit of the issue is when Lindholm comes back is it's Lindholm Carlo, right? Like they, they play great together. They're, they're a great pairing. Then that means Lowry would have to play with McAvoy and then you're playing the big boys. And it would be nice if you could find and have someone there with McAvoy who's big and long can play and be able to put Lowry as the third pair. And then that, then you can work him into different situations, put him in good offensive situations, protect him a little bit. I would be a little nervous having him be with McAvoy game one against the Tampa Bay Lightning and Nikita Kucherov. That that is like a lot to take. It, it really is. like even when McAvoy came up and played in the playoffs against it, what they were able to, they had him with Chara. Right, like they, Big Z was Big Z then, and and that's where it, it's you you have to be a little careful because if you go that route and you don't have anyone else, that's what you're dealing with for for seven games in the first round. But well, could could you go Lindholm McAvoy and Lorai Carlo? It, it changes how you use your pairings a bit, right? Lorai Carlo is not going to get all the same shutdown matchups that Lindholm Carlo does. But it's an option. Like it's something it to is, it is. I, I think we've seen that they really want to keep McAvoy and Lindholm separate. They like they really like the idea of having those guys, one of those guys, on the ice for forty five minutes of the game. Um, uh, but I, but no, you could do that on the road. You could find different pockets to do that. I just think you you definitely need another guy. You you, you need, and that's where the deadline comes in. If you get a guy that's really solid, that really helps your back end. I think Lowry can stay. If not, then I think it gets a little dicier, which, again, maybe counterintuitive, but uh, and you, maybe you just need him. That's the other thing. Like, maybe if you don't get some of that, it turns into a necessity and he's just thrown to the wolves. All right, we got to catch a break here. More Sunday Skate coming up next. Bridget has you trending. We'll be back after this. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-patrollable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is Sunday Skate on WEEI. Save us as a favorite on the Odyssey app. And take Boston Sports Original everywhere you go. Welcome back to Sunday Skate. I'm your host, Scott McLaughlin, with Andrew Raycroft and, and Bridget yes, Peru. And he picks the music in case anybody was wondering. We, we got to get a taste of the Pacific Northwest. I like that. <laughs> a little Seattle grunge yeah, exactly. vibe. It's on point. Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, we, we didn't get into this last week, but... Razor, why is Fourier trying to change your nickname to The Razor? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows why Fourier does anything? Uh, yes, but he and he is sticking to it. Like if you, he only says The Razor now. Like it, it's, uh, man, what a treat calling into those guys on a Friday afternoon, <laughs> Friday morning. You never know what you're gonna get. But no, yes, according to him, I am the Razor. And I have to work Dunsky in at some point tomorrow night into oh, the broadcast. Yeah, so, uh, oh, geez. yeah, he is on me for Dunsky. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm just glad he hasn't seen me in a while. I haven't been in the office since October. <laughs> um, and every time he sees me, the first thing he says is, do you have my cookies? Where are my cookies? Doesn't say hi, just says cookies. And then Will, at one time he went through my bag. To see if I had cookies. I was like, I don't just carry sugar cookies with me constantly. But, um, yeah, he will jump me over over cookies. And I, as soon as well, I see him this week, that's the first thing he's going to say to me. Yeah, well, it's it's like it's like a dog who's, like, been trained to certain behaviors. Like, yeah. Yes. Oh, no. He, that's him. He gets yeah, very like he excited. You, when he, he thinks goodies. Yeah, he, when he, he gets excited when I come <laughs> into the office because it just immediately goes, cookies, like... Yeah. yeah, he stole all of Megan's cookies when I made her some when she first got brought on full time. I go, do not let him see these. Just take a few in there, hand him a few. And she brought the whole container in. What happened? I saw him pouring the entire container into a trash bag that he got from the cleaning lady, tying it up and putting it in his car. <laughs> <laughs> what an animal. <laughs> uh, yeah, Razor, I feel like moving from Thursday to Friday this year, like you get, you get, extra loopy yes. for you on a Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's not paying attention at all <laughs> on Friday. Like Thursday, you kind of have, but Friday, he's mailing it in as badly as anyone <laughs> is, so he is not paying attention or doesn't know what's going on. Uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's go to the phones here and take Bill from Belchertown. Bill, good morning. What do you got? Oh, hi, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I didn't play hockey as a kid, but I watched the Bruins, big fan. Big fan of you guys' radio station. I'm in my car too often, but so I watched the two period, two, second and third period last night. And the thing that stood out to me was there's no resistance through the neutral zone. And so, 
you know, they're in their defensive zone the whole time. Got to believe that's exhausting. But what does it take to get somebody in front of somebody in the neutral zone? I mean, you know, I'm an old guy, but take a lesson from the devils of old. You know, I felt like they never had to play defense because you couldn't get it through the neutral zone. And I, I think that would help the Bruins a lot. Yeah, they, thanks, for, yeah th- oh. thanks for the call, Bill. Um, it's a good observation, especially from that Vancouver game. That third period, they were just flying through the neutral zone, almost at will. And, again, I think this kind of comes back to, like, being caught between two minds where it's like either you're you're going to be aggressive and get in on the forecheck in the offensive zone and slow that transition down before it even gets started, or if you're playing conservative, it has to be a more structured trap, something that's that's going to clog up the neutral zone. Raise, I don't know if you have other other ideas on on – why that was happening? Well, I think last last night it was happening because they 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 didn't get it in deep at all. They're they're just hanging on in their own zone, and when they did get it out of their zone, it was only going out to the the far blue line. And they're changing. They had guys come. It's so many at least four times they had two guys change at once over on the left wing closest to the bench. Everyone else had to get stay stay out because Quinn Hughes wheeled it and moved it to the weak side, and then they dumped it in, and then they got the rest of the guys changed off while they're dumping. So. It was a little perpetual snowball last night in that they just couldn't get any pressure in the offensive zone. That's when your neutral zone's at its best. Now, you, you can't really go back to the, the left-wing lock of the New Jersey Devils because the game's so fast and you're not allowed to hook and hold like Scott Stevens and Ken Danico did back then. Like The game's changed a little bit in that way. The best way to do it is to get on the offense and get possession down in the offensive zone. That's what the Bruins weren't able to do last night against Vancouver. Yeah, you also can't drill guys in the head as they come across the no, that's blue right. line, which, like, which, like Scott Stevens. That did. certainly helps your neutral zone. When guys are scared to go anywhere near the middle of the ice. Yeah. yeah, they're not crossing. They're not crossing in that area if if you're allowed to take shots like that. Which, like you mentioned, that transition game is a lot faster these days just because of the skill sets that that guys have, and, and especially defensemen are so much better at breaking out the puck now. Uh, and you know. There's less – you can't impede people the way that you used to be able to. But, no, the point – it's a good point. Um, the neutral zone, you, you can't allow quick transition because then you get yourself caught out of out of position and, and you're – you know, you have to scramble a little bit to get set up in your own defensive end. Yeah, and that's where, you know, I'll come back to, like, the blowing leads starting before the six on five. That's where, like, I want to see the Bruins get – you mentioned it, like get pucks in deep, get in on the forecheck, establish some offensive zone time, like slow down that transition as it gets started. Force Vancouver to flip a puck out into the neutral zone. Like it, it, it was, it was like very frustrating to watch because it was a tough third last night. Yeah. It, 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 it was, it was not good. And, and that started with the power play. They, they were just hanging on and you knew at seven 11, it wasn't long. There's was too much time that there's too much time at seven to, to make it two one for them to hang on. And, uh, too good of a team on the other side. Don't forget, Vancouver's the best team in the NHL, right? Like, they have the most points in the National Hockey League. That 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 That's also part of this, right? Because you're playing a pretty good team. The other team wants to win, too. All right. One of the things we haven't really touched on, 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 a, on a more positive note, is, is the great story that is Justin Brazo. And I guess we can expand that to the fourth line in general or yeah. guys they've called up in general. We t- touched on Lori looking good. But... Brazo, like, talk about found money. I mean, he, you know, undrafted. He's bounced between AHL, ECHL for a few years. 
they signed him to an AHL contract. He has a good season down in Providence last year. And then, you know, an even better season this year, gets an NHL deal. They call him up, and you're like, wow, this looks like exactly what they've been missing on the fourth line. Like, here, here's a guy with – now he's not super physical, and he's not much of a fighter. So he's not he's not that kind of fourth liner, but – He's a good player. He's getting to the net front. He's getting to great A areas. He's making plays. He makes a really nice play to set up Jesper Bogvis's goal last night, the the Bruins' first goal of the game, where he has a good stick in the neutral, neutral zone to win the puck and then uses that long reach to make a pass around Quinn Hughes to Bogvist. Uh, and Richard won the faceoff to set that up, too. Yeah. So it was all those guys. Yeah. So all of a sudden, it's like, you know, we're t- we've talked about you know, do you need to go find an identity guy on the fourth line or something like that? And all of a sudden, the fourth line really doesn't look like a problem at all. In fact, it looks pretty good these last this last week or so. Yeah, you really want it to look good for another 10 days, right? You really want those guys to look good and look the way they have uh, because it it, feel, it just fits. It lo- it's just nice seeing a big, long guy out there, whether, you know, he's – whether he's as you know as tough as Bob Probert, that's irrelevant. I think nowadays you just need someone big and long, and and he gets to his spot. He understands the game. I think, I mean, he got 113 points in junior hockey. Like he 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 does have a nose, and he has hockey sense, and he's a bigger guy, so he's always going to get the his foot speed, etc. But once once you're a pro hockey guy for this long, you start to you just play the game, and it doesn't matter about that skill set as long as you get to your spot and you make plays like he has this past week in the NHL with Boquist and Richard. That kind of offsets that. If those guys get on the Richard's, he's a really smart player as well. Like these three guys are really smart. I guess that what really stands out too is their hockey sense is really really good, and they played off each other really well. And it's been a completely different look than what we've seen from the fourth line all season where we're wanting a little bit more or at least having an impact rather than just skating up and down the wall and killing 30 seconds. This is actually productive. Uh, and and I'm really rooting for the fact that these guys can keep this going. That's going to be the question mark is the consistency that they've never made it to the NHL for a long period of time. So can they keep it going? Can they do it in the playoffs? But to this point... The eye test says that this is what the Bruins need with the mix of personnel on that fourth line. Yeah, and so Boquist has multiple goals in this stretch. And he's an NHLer, right? Like, he's got 175 games going into this. Like, he's an NHLer. He's played 22 straight. He's an NHLer. He's going to be that fourth line center. Yeah, so he he fits in 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 that he has the more more experience than Brezzo and, and Richard and he's fast and you know he can play center he they've slid him over to wing I've seen Richard take some of their their draws and and um get moved around a little bit but main point being production is coming from the fourth line now so Brezzo scores in his first game and he almost scored twice in that game against Dallas and Boquist scored last night Boquist scored against Dallas Richard has been involved in the offense and he's he's been kind of a pest in in the four check and and doing the things right that they when they called him up he's doing essentially exactly what they thought he would do and he's doing it well and for Brazo what makes him the right fit right now is that he's doing exactly what they wanted which is going to the net um being a pest in front of the net being a big body that's hard to move off the puck so his puck possession is good and when you put those things together on the fourth line they've been able to take care of their matchups and they've been able to score and and that comes in in a stretch where um like we mentioned 
some of their other lines haven't been producing. Their power play hasn't been producing. But when you're, you're getting the fourth line scoring, that maybe allows management to direct their energy elsewhere at the deadline. I think that's what you're getting at, Razor. That's why you want them to play well over the next yes, uh, you know, exactly. few weeks because then it, it's kind of like, okay, look look away from the fourth line. Look to the top six or look to the defense to add. Yeah, and, you know, Richard, I thought – They've also they've tried moving Richard in particular. They've moved him up in the lineup a couple times, and I'd rather see him just keep these guys together on the fourth line because I don't really think any of the guys they've used on the fourth line are really third liners. So keep your top nine guys in your top nine. Keep this fourth line together and see what they do. And yeah, Richard, I thought in the Calgary game he was out there for two of those rush goals against and. It, on at least one of them, I thought he was one of the guys who took kind of a bad line on the back check and and allowed a guy to get open. Then you see in the Vancouver game, I'm sure there was a conversation in between. He had some really good back checks, like breaking up plays, using his speed to get back. So that's also like the kind of quick learning you want to see on on something like that, where one game to the next, he seems to have you know figured it out. So um, yeah, I don't you know. I don't know if it's going to hold up and be a fourth line come playoffs, but they're playing well now. And Bridget, like you said, like it, if they play like this, I don't need to spend any assets on a fourth liner. Like go focus your attention higher in the lineup because I think that's where that's where there's still questions. You know, they they still um, haven't quite found the combinations that work consistently in their top nine and. I think we should we should get to this, but it feels like it's going to be a question right up to the deadline. What do you do with Jake DeBrusque? He had a great game in Edmonton in his hometown, goal and an assist all over the ice. I think he's had some other good games recently, but ultimately it's 11 of the last 12 games he has not had a point. And that kind of drought is coming at really like the worst possible time for him because I'm sure he wanted the, he wanted an extension and, certainty before the deadline and if anything now you only have more uncertainty about what the Bruins are going to do with Jake DeBrusque tough time to go cold and, mm-hmm. and on top of it right it's it's Zaka goalless and eight it's Charlie Coyle yes he scored two goals in Calgary but beyond that it's very similar to 10 you know points in eight of nine no points in eight of nine so the three of them collectively going cold right now is also a huge deal why these overtimes and six on fives are coming up because that's not secondary scoring. That's like you're, it's actually amazing if you think about how little those three have scored and the Bruins are still hanging in against Edmonton and Calgary and Vancouver, these top teams in the league when you back into it. And, and I guess that's another positive part that we, we, we've gone straight to six on five and straight, right? But, and that's what we do. I get it. Like that's what this team's kind of forced us into doing too because they've been so good for two years. But, on the positive side of it slash negative side is that these three guys have to score more. If this team's going to do anything, they're out in seven games. If those three guys don't have points in seven games in the playoffs, well, it, they have no chance, zero chance, every like locked loaded, forget it. So the fact that they haven't been very good offensively for three weeks now is a concern. And to your point with the brusque and the extension, it does leave question marks and it, and it leaves uncertainty. Uh, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be the best player to ever go 
away without an asset coming back, meaning you could go into the deadline not having him sign, a little unsure, and hope he goes on a run like Jake DeBrus can easily go on a run with the drop of a hat. Uh, but it still is a risk, and it, and it's still something that I'm sure not that I'm sure that everyone's not too comfortable about. Um, it's a tough decision, and the reality is he should be commended for his 200 foot game because it has been so much better this year. But at the end of the day, he has to score as well. Like he, it just ha- he's one of those guys that has to. Brazo doesn't have to get a point the rest of the season. Bolquist doesn't to to help this team. But but DeBrusque, Zaka, and Coyle, they, they need to, especially DeBrusque. Yeah, and, and think about DeBrusque. If DeBrusque doesn't contribute in the playoffs at all, that, then what's the fan base going to be saying? They're going to be saying, you well, should have gotten something for him when you could have. Now he he didn't help you, and now he's, you know, you might lose him for nothing. Like, yeah. you could have gotten something for him at the deadline. And, you know, it, it looks like a bad move if... But but once again, you can't predict the future. He could go on a, a, a streak in the playoffs. But if he doesn't and they didn't get anything for him, you will hear it from the fan base that they should have, you know, maybe had some hockey trade that they could have found and flip him for a different winger, like a which is weirdly what we've said about Jake DeBrusque, like several of the last few trade deadlines. Like, could we does he need a change of scenery and someone else need a change of scenery so they swap their forwards? Like it comes up every deadline because he's streaky and he goes through these these times where it's like okay maybe they could find a better option or or maybe he's a better option it's it's impossible to say when he goes on hot streaks and cold streaks yeah or again along the lines of like shaking things up or making multiple deals you get some sort of asset for debrusque then you turn around combine that with another asset or two and get someone better more consistent than him and you know i we could run through the names of guys who potentially might be out there. I think Jake Gensel is going to be the biggest name. I don't know if there's any way to make that happen, but something like that where you're, you know, you're upgrading that spot. You're bringing in a, a better top six wing. I would be open to that. And, you know, I think, I do think this, this team's going to be interesting to Brust. The problem there is, you know, if you're talking about Gensel or like a Vladimir Tarasenko, the team that might, want to brush might be the team that misses out on those guys. So those get one of those guys might already be off the board. So it, it does get complicated, but that's, it's something, again, I just think they have to consider. Like, I feel like almost everything should be on the table for them because again, I, I just feel like uh some, some sort of to come back to my opening take, like some sh- sort of shakeup feels needed or feels like it could really benefit this team. It gets, yeah. Again, we're we're talking that they need more scoring in the top six, and that's the issue with trading to Bro. Like it, it 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 does get complicated because, and and I think we've seen. I think history has proven to us that they really want Jake DeBrusque here scoring for them. There's been many times to have traded Jake DeBrusque, and they've refused to do so. Uh, and, and again, I think he's got his 200 foot game. I think he's been very helpful for this group. And when he's scoring, it's extremely helpful. They don't lose when he gets going and he, when he's playing the 200 foot game and he makes that coil and Marshawn pairing so much better when he is getting going. So yeah, again, I, I'm more, I think right now I'm leaning more fingers crossed. He gets going and hope, uh, but just because of the scenario of trying to trade, 
him for something better that you don't really know is going to fit with everyone is 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 difficult. Um, so I, I don't think I think it's going to be hard for to 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 de- it's going to be hard to deal him too if he hasn't got any points in fifteen games. That that's yeah, the other thing true. that makes it really difficult too, right? To actually get value that you think you should get for him when he's hasn't scored in February. Uh, that that's a little nerve wracking for a team on the other side. So. Again, all these scenarios, like I, I just I can't wait for eight days to go by or ten days to go by to see if we have any deals to really know what these guys are all worth. Like, what's Jake Gensel actually worth? Like, what yeah. are the Penguins going to get for him? Is so fascinating to me. Is I like Jake Gensel a lot. So. Well, the Penguins aren't going to trade him here, right? That's the issue. That's exactly. He's he's, he's going to go west. He's going to go to a team like P- Pittsburgh's, especially with all the. Uh, the the nuance with the Penguins here in Boston, I don't think he's coming here. That would be my guess. Yeah, true. Um, as much as that, and, and, which, and, and it, it would be cool to see, but I don't think he's coming. Like that's they're not, you're not going to get him. I don't think. And by the way, he's injured and and likely out through the trade deadline, which also complicates that. But all right, we got we got one segment of Sunday Skate left. Scott McLaughlin, Andrew Raycroft, Bridge of Prue. We can maybe take another call too, 617-779-7937. If you have any thoughts on what the Bruins need to do, should do, we'll be back after this. A-U-D-A-C-Y. Type that into your app search, then download. This is Sunday Skate on W-E-E-I. Welcome back. Final segment of Sunday Skate with Andrew Raycroft and Bridget Prue. I'm Scott McLaughlin. I want to run through couple texts here uh one six one seven i think the bruins are getting killed in face-offs directly affecting late game success it is a factor they've been they're below 50 percent on face-offs for the season i think we were all so used to 20 years of patrice bergeron being around 60 percent but you know of the guys on the roster right now coil and zaka the only ones over 50 percent and Yes, they're going to take the bulk of your faceoffs, but it's not like they're dominant. So it does feel like they could use another good faceoff guy, and that that might be Johnny Beecher getting called up again at some point. Obviously, they've they felt there's other parts of his game he needs to work on in Providence, but he was good on faceoffs when he was up there, and it certainly feels like you know they they could use another guy uh, who can win some key draws for them. It last night there was eleven. 11 of 32 or 11 and 32 in their own zone. Like that's the, and, and it's not, they're not contested. I guess that's the other thing too. There's a, there's a win and a loss and then there's a win and a loss. And and last night were losses, Uh, both goals directly back. You can't close gap. You can't pressure like we want them to pressure. If it goes directly back to Quinn Hughes, if you go right at him, forget it, you're over. So, it has to be better. The forward, the centermen have to find ways. The wingers have to find ways to to. Ex- Are they expecting a loss? Have they gotten the mentality yet that they're going to lose this draw rather than expecting to win every draw last year? Like all the faceoff plays they've run over the last seven years out of the defensive zone, out of the offensive zone, um, might not pertain to this anymore. You you might have to expect to lose and and cheat the other way rather than cheating to go on offense. Uh, again, all things that require much more of a deep dive into to, to how they're playing off of these faceoffs. But it was inevitable last night that the the faceoff was the reason they were getting smoked, especially in the third period. They couldn't get possession. Yeah, we got 
Let's see. Uh, 508 text. Toronto won again, nipping at the Bruins' heels. Don't know if they're quite nipping yet. Seven points back, but Toronto does have two games in hand. I guess I'm not all that worried about whether you're first, second, or third in the division, honestly. Just stay out of the wild card, I would say, is is the key. Um, I, I like that they're in a division race with Florida. I think it's good. Like It gives them maybe not necessarily now, but down the stretch, those last few weeks of the season, something to, to fo- something real to focus on, not, you know, the points record or, you know, things that aren't going to directly affect your playoffs uh, like last year. Do you want to take our, our final call? Sure. Go. Let's go to uh let's go to Larry in Portland who has some thoughts on the Bruins overtime. Uh, well, it's more an observation. I'd like to get your reaction to it. It seems like the most successful teams in the overtime, they'll be bringing the puck into the O-zone. The play that they set up isn't there, and they circle back into their own end and then reset. It seems like the Bruins very rarely do that. I mean, I my memory might be faulty, but it seems like they'll still force it in, and then they'll almost skate it into tight coverage as opposed to, oh, the play isn't there, let's uh, reset and go back doesn't seem like they do that very often, and it seems like the most successful teams in overtime play will do that and open up more, the ice a lot more. So uh, just your thoughts on that, and feel free, like my wife, to tell me I'm full of it. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, I hear Larry. you. Yeah. I get that all, right. all the time, too. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Larry. So Bruins maybe maybe have to play more boring in overtime. I, oh, I think, boy. I think the regrouping is boring. I'm actually – just yeah, but f- it's a possession game, Scott. It is. Like, and they do they definitely do it less. They definitely do the regrouping less than some of the other teams you'll watch. Way more conservative overtimes by other teams than the Bruins. Yeah, I think there's got to be a, a balance there between, like I want them to be aggressive and try to score and not play that boring circle back. But they they do still take too many chances in overtime, I think. Attacking one-on-one or trying passes that aren't there or Bad the the post up play yeah. kills me. When they put it by, they they send it up like a one on three on a three on three overtime, and they they send it up the boards. They did it last night, and they got away with it. But it is there. There's times where it's like that's such a a bad risk reward play. But overtime's the least like three on three, whatever. Let's six on five. Enough is enough. <laughs> yeah, Win games uh, and regulation. So you you hear our, our play out music going. Uh, Bridget chooses the last song, and, and she says she has very different tastes in music than me. She picked a song by one of my favorite bands. So there you Dan go. And Paula. Wow. You guys was, are more alike than you know. Uh, don't say that. One, so. of, <laughs> one, of, one of the best live shows I've seen in, like, the last decade. Tame wow. Paula, Excellent. Wow. Uh, we got we got John Lyons. I saw Nick Fitzy, Fitzy Stevens, yeah, too. He in? All right. So those guys coming up next, and we'll be back next week, 9 to 11 a.m., Sunday Skate. Last week before the trade deadline. That's our last show before the trade deadline. So Thank goodness. Stuff, stuff getting real there. <laughs> we'll talk to you then. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. 
That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com SportsFan and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.